Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to have Melissa Lyons with us here today, who is an international best-selling author, inspired thought leader, and life coach. Melissa has a unique way of helping people discover hope, passion, and purpose, regardless of their current situation. Raw and relatable, Melissa uses her own vulnerability, heartbreaking experiences, and humility to reach and connect with people of all ages in deep and meaningful ways. Her personal journey, which includes decades of entrepreneurial and corporate business experience, inspired her to ask important questions about her own life purpose and fueled her search for more meaning and fulfillment. Melissa's proprietary Simple Subtle Shift system, along with her heartwarming and profound books, have helped thousands embrace fresh perspectives during times of personal struggle, overwhelming grief, and loss. Melissa, welcome and thank you so very much for being here. Jesse, nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, it's such a pleasure, and we've, I've enjoyed so much our conversations we've had prior to this. I'm excited to capture some of that magic onto video and share it with others. First question right off the bat, in reading through your bio, how does one go from corporate culture to really looking at ways to go deeper and find more meaning and vulnerability? Wow, you start with the tough ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was right there, and I was reading it all. Now, where does those two intersect? Yeah, one does that very easily when um, you live your life trying to um, please others and follow all the things that you should do in your life, all the ways that we're supposed to live and the the milestones we're supposed to reach, to only to find out that when you've pretty much got everything you've ever wanted and you find out you're still really missing something and you have no idea what it is, but you know that there's just something not right you begin to ask those tough questions. And so that's what happened to me. I found myself having everything. And my husband turned me at one point, which should have been the happiest time where I'd sold one of my businesses. He said, are you ever going to be happy? And I looked at him and said, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that started this journey to, to this moment right now where it's like, yeah, like help me, help me figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life. Cause I have no idea who I am anymore and what I want. And I found myself there. I find that so fascinating how we, we can live our life in the pursuit of stuff, things, and what we're taught that we're supposed to pursue, and that we can get to it and find that there's something missing, and not just a little something, but a big something. You, were you aware of, like, did you have language to describe what that missing was? Or was it through the process of writing your books that you started to really uncover what that missing thing was? Hmm. Interesting when you ask it that way. I mean, I always knew that there was something that wasn't quite right with me, even though everything always looked right on the outside. I had like, I think a tormented mind for, for lack of a, a more gentle way of saying it. I, I, as long as I can remember, it was a seesaw battle in my mind of where my heart was saying I should go versus where I was always going. And I always felt at at odds. The best way of describing it, I I was speaking with somebody shortly after I sold my business. Actually, no, it was before I sold my business and I was in the process of like just trying to tease out still. I hadn't even known the depth of how much I wasn't complete. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, the person said to me, she said to me, I see, she'd never met me before. She started reading me. And she said, I see you running and you're running and running and you're running away from something. And I could, I, I was shaking my head saying like, yes. And she said, it's a, a funnel cloud. It's this big like tornado hurricane. And the more you run, the bigger it's getting and it's chasing mm-hmm. you. And she was describing kind of like I, I'd gone from job to job again, successfully, but not fulfilling from job to, to business, to this, to that. And she said to me, it just, it's a message. It just has a message for you. It just wants you to stop and turn around and look at it. Mm. And that was one of the biggest things that I found is that there's so many messages that we look at as scary or, or evil or, or not wanting to face when they're really just trying, it's our, part of ourselves trying to say, you're missing who you are. We just want to remind you. When you looked at that message and you, you were able to receive that as you're, you're, you're missing who you are, what was, it, what was it that you found was the message in that? What was it that was that missing piece? I think the missing piece was that I'd never um, taken time to understand what I wanted, who I was, and, and what the purpose is. And, you know, it's really easy for us to go through life and and do all the things that are in front of us. Here's a really great example to explain. Like if you're given a shopping spree and, and it's at a Walmart and you have four minutes to prepare, you, you kind of know where you're going to go because you know where the camping section is or the beauty section or the baby section and you can go. But if you had four days, you would think about really what you want to put in your four minute shopping spree, right? Yeah. And then if you didn't know it was Walmart or if it was a store that just had random places and you had four days, you would really figure out what you wanted and go there. But in our lives, a lot of times we just wake up and we do what's, what's in front of us, what everybody else is doing, where everybody else is going. And we, we do our best to like it, but we haven't really chosen. Mm. And so I think that my answer is that I started to realize that I never chose. I just was on default and living default and living happily. And don't get me wrong. I did have everything I asked for, but I didn't ask for the things that were deep in my heart. I asked for the things that were easy to ask for that everybody else wanted. Hmm. I love that concept, living on default. I feel like that is such a, a truism for any and all aspects of our life, whether it's work, whether it's our relationships. I think relationships, especially during this, this period where so many of us have been at home and sheltering in place for so long and we might find that we've been at home in four walls with a person that we may not realize we may realize that we don't particularly like as much as we thought we once did but because we've been existing on default for so long it'd become a a tolerable or an acceptable this is what is versus what do I really want yeah and you know who one of those number one people could be when you're living sheltering in place um, I'm trying to, we say something different, but when you say shelter in place, I know it totally what you mean. Um, but the person here, yeah, because, because you know what, when you're really left alone with yourself, you find out you might not know who you are, which is kind of what happened to me. I realized that I didn't really know, um, who I was. And if I didn't know who I was, the people in my life didn't really know who I really was. I know who I played that role I was playing. The part I was playing, the business owner, the boss, the mother, the whatever it was, the daughter, the sister, the friend, the wife. But who was I if we took all that away? And I couldn't, I couldn't begin to tell you who I was. And so that was really fun. I got to not rebuild, but rediscover who always was there, but never really had a chance to come out, which speaks to the torment that I feel that I, I hid for so long. Mm. 
What was the biggest surprise for you in that discovery process? Uh, the biggest well, that I'm creative. I never knew I was creative because I was so judgmental about everything that I did that I, I didn't even think I could draw a stick figure properly. And I still don't feel like I can draw, but that I can write and that, and also that I, the, the, the understanding of the intuition and the messages that can come to you. When you learn to stop asking for things, like, you know, when you pray, you ask, and when you meditate, you listen. And, and to actually listen to, to what actually is the wisdom that we have access to that is us, but I didn't understand. That was the best discovery of all. So that creativity, allowing yourself to acknowledge that creative part of yourself, is that what led to writing the books? Uh, not directly. Uh, the, what led to writing the books was the actual understanding of the, the act of surrendering and no longer taking mm. an MBA business mind and putting goals and time frames about where you want to be by a certain date and actually settling into um, like hope. Because hope is that hope, pre hope precedes faith, right? Because faith means I know I'll be okay no matter what happens. Hope is I hope that there is something that will give me faith. And actually stepping into that faith saying, I'll be okay if I just let it go. Stop trying to squeeze the water. Just hold as much as I can in my hand and let it stay as long as it wants to. And let whatever needs to leave, leave. Versus trying to squeeze it and get more. Mm. That's so fascinating because it is, it's, that's, that's such another truism that it's often that we do seem to hold on and just keep trying to squeeze and 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 squeeze. And, it, and it's almost like, I mean, if we, even if we look at the example of a piece of fruit or toothpaste, tube of toothpaste might even be a better example where it's like we have that tube of toothpaste where it's completely unempty, but we keep trying to squeeze to get a little bit more out. But in so doing, it's like we're not getting that much and all the time and effort and energy it takes away from it, plus the frustration it accumulates versus we could just go get the other two that has an abundant supply of toothpaste available to us. Yeah, because there is abundance. Yeah. All of it. So I've read both of these, these books, which I think that they're are beautifully, beautifully illustrated and they're such sweet stories. Why go from, so you have this, you, you go from the corporate world and entrepreneurship and business and thinking like a MBA to just allowing yourself to surrender. You acknowledge you have this creative process. You allow yourself to surrender. Why dive into grief? That seems like such a, you know, I feel like people often with grief, even if they're familiar with it, they don't want to go near it. And your foray into writing and, and illustrating is into the grief world, right? So why, why go there first? Well, I didn't go there. I actually, in that whole act of surrendering, found myself there. So literally the book, I Will Always Love You, those words found their way to my paper. Um, and I had no idea that that was happening. I, I was sitting down one morning with a chocolate crepe and a tea. And I just wrote words like, like fish, water, boat, land, wind, rain, table, and just wrote words till I forgot I was writing words. And on that particular day, it was a, a miracle. That book, it, rhyming all the words, pretty much 80% as you see them, were exactly on my page. And no one was more surprised than me to find them there. And for the first um, year and a half, I would say, I didn't know even what they meant to me, but they sure meant something to anybody who read them 
and connected with them had their own their own relationship with them. So I understand that there's something different there for everybody. That's incredibly fascinating. So you were writing not necessarily from personal experience, but from purely from a process of surrender and trust. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. And I think that's, I feel like so many of us have a story, a book, something inside of us, but the thing that keeps us from putting the pen to paper is we don't surrender. We don't just trust to allow words to flow and our emotion to our sentiment or whatever that source is that's coming from to be enough. We think that we have to have all the steps figured out, all the, you know, the conclusion, the outline, everything else. But yours was just, it was really from an act of surrender and trust that you were able to translate from pen to paper and produce what you produced. Yeah, and you know, a big thing, Jesse, is that one of my um, hugest opportunities (laughs) for growth was to stop being attached to the outcome of pretty much everything I did. I did everything for, with an outcome versus enjoying that journey, including going to university, like all through university, all I did, I just did it so I could graduate and get a job that made lots of money. I didn't at any point focus on my journey consciously. So this writing part, I was just journaling therapeutically. I was trying, I was finding out so much about myself as I went through my daily journaling exercises and this just happened. So I didn't, I wasn't trying to do anything. I was just being. And I think that's the biggest difference. And then when I found it, it's like, now what am I supposed to do with this? And what does this mean? And so I just then started to really follow what the clues were, where I should go with it, how I should let it unfold versus unfolding it the way I think it should unfold, which I did a lot of that along the way too. I'm still, I'm still working in progress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we all are. I think that's so important to acknowledge that too, as we are. It's a disclaimer that it's the work in progress. So I, I have to give a personal testimonial because I've read both of these. And then the Until We Meet Again one from Grief to Hope After Losing a Pet. Boy, when I read that one, it turned the waterworks on for me. And I flashed back to these, uh, these thoughts that I haven't thought for a number of years where I was thinking of my, some of my animals growing up as a kid. And all of a sudden I was overwhelmed with this sense of guilt, feeling like I had abandoned them when I left for college. And that there was almost this sever of connection where it was like I had to accept that I was moving on to this next chapter of my life and moving on meant leaving them behind. And I had never really thought about this. I mean, it had been nothing I thought about, but all of a sudden all these thoughts, everything just became as clear as day. And so there's clearly this grief, this emotion that had been depressed down to me that I hadn't processed before. And I sat with that after I read it all morning. And I mean, I, I just I cried and I cried and I cried and I felt such a, a deep, I, I became aware of like this deep wound that I had never really acknowledged before. And I want to thank you for this book because I feel like in grief work, and I've shared with you that I do some work in the grief space, that it often, there's often this unspoken hierarchy amongst some where we, where we will give more significance to losses depending on the relationships the people so on and so forth and oftentimes i think that the loss of a pet ends up getting ignored or buried down into that 
And especially in the face of maybe somebody losing a spouse or a child or something like that. And this isn't, and this is just a disclaimer not to try to compare one to the other. But what it is to say is it's to acknowledge that I think for many, the loss of a pet is, is such a different kind of trauma, such a different kind of hurt. Because for many of us, I think our pets really and truly are the one source of unconditional love we have in our life. They're the one source of, they're the one physical presence in our life where they never have expectation. So if we come home and we're sad, we're upset, we've had a rough day, whatever it is, they're not expecting us to be someone. They just accept us for where we are. Whereas oftentimes when we come home to our partners or friends, family, just the same as you may have lived through the corporate life off the expectations of how you're supposed to show up to others, we're still trying to meet those expectations oftentimes with our loved ones. And I think we, we may find it difficult to feel and really honor where we are, but our pets almost give us that space. And when we lose them, not only do we lose that companionship, but for many of us, it feels like this loss of that unconditional love. And I think that what came up for me in reading that, and when I look at that deep wound, is it wasn't so much just the guilt of feeling like I'd abandoned them, but it was acknowledging a loss that I never fully acknowledged that how significant it was for me, meaning that I never acknowledged at that age that I was losing what I perceived to be my sources of unconditional love at that time. My sources of unconditional love through childhood. You know, I could say there's family and everything, but family dynamics play out. I know my parents love me, but they also get pissed off and angry at me too. Whereas my pets, they just, they just always, always loved me. And they would always share the same excitement, whether I was gone for a week or gone for a few months or gone for a couple hours. So I think that's so incredible. And I guess this is a long way of saying for you, you and I were talking beforehand offline and you were saying there's this, the notion of you can't fool energy. I was hoping you might extrapolate a little bit on that because I think that that's such an incredible concept and I want you to elaborate on it a little bit if you would. Well, my understanding of, of not being able to fool energy is that when we have an emotion or a feeling that's, that's significant and we bury it or we keep it inside of us and we just continue to live without actually recognizing it, it stays there forever. And, it, and at some point, it's going to find its way out, whether it's in disease, it's in other things. It depends. Of course, that's the magnitude of it will depend on, on the magnitude of what we're burying or what we're not, what we're trying to fool or what we're trying to not let go. So... I feel like with the pet book, I found it was so interesting because we'd be talking, I'd be talking to people about the loss of humans and I will always love you. And more often than not, they would say to me, but when I was 18 or when I was 14, and they would talk about losing an animal. And mm. it just showed me that they never got to really work through that energy um, or at least acknowledge it. Like that's what, that's all it is, right? Is acknowledging it. And so in the case for you and, and actually to back, to backtrack, um, when I wrote I Will Always Love You, it scared me because I hadn't gone through a significant human loss that wasn't part of daily, like what we should go through in a normal life. Like I'd gone through pain, but nothing that other people have gone through. And it wasn't until I wrote my the second book, Until We Meet Again, that I realized I'd had like literally, I think I lost more animals in my life when I, by the time I was 16 than most people will have in their whole life. And I had never dealt with that. And I think 
writing that book and acknowledging the value that you just so eloquently said, the value of that unconditional love from our pets. Like uh, the book's written from the pet's perspective. And one of the pages says, I taught you things as you watched me live, unconditional love and to always forgive. And that's, that's why they're so important in our lives. And so instead of like, you can feel sad and then you have to turn that sadness in, into appreciation for the fact that that relationship evolved your evolved you as a human you now you now know unconditional love you can expect it again you can give it you know how to access it because you've experienced it but we put that away as sadness and it's it's sad for a while until we reframe it and say my god it's sad but it's also so full of freedom yeah i agree i think that's such a an important distinction in acknowledging that, that they really do give us this, they really do give us, I think loved ones, whether they're four-legged or two, one of the most incredible things about them is they really do lay blueprints that we can follow. Like they really do create maps and breadcrumbs of what a deeper meaning and a, a richer and more loving and fulfilling life can look like. And it, you and I were talking a little bit before, too about the idea that when our loved ones lead us they can still com they leave us they can still communicate with us mm -hmm. yeah we get messages and you know a page from i will always love you i'll send you hints so you know i'm around pay closer attention to each side and each sound we just have to slow down and listen long enough like be quiet long enough to allow that to come to us and it will come and we'll realize it's been coming all along we just haven't conditioned ourselves to it right yeah and i think that's, that's something too is it's it's like we after loss we become so fearful of silence because we're afraid of silence because silence means that from that perception of loss that we're alone Silence means that there's no, whether it's a meow, a bark, or a person talking, there's not that voice to fill that void. And it's scary to have to confront and acknowledge that. So oftentimes it seems that many of us will void silence. We overbusy ourselves. We, we turn to other relationships. Whatever it is, we you know, distract ourselves from being in that silence. But I, I agree with you. I think that it's in our silence that it's oftentimes we get that reflection and it's in that silence that most importantly we get that connection. You know, mm. it's in those still moments that those special bonds were born in the first place. It was in the, the quiet still moments of life that if we look back are probably some of our most meaningful. It wasn't when it was loud and distracting. It was when we were really present and focused with them, again, four-legged or two, that we solidify those bonds that we form that special relationship. And it's, it's always fascinating how we will flee from silence after loss. But really what I'm hearing you say is it's, it's, if we want to connect and still connect with them, which we can, it's, it's not so much fleeing from as it is turning towards and embracing that silence mm. as a channel for those, those little hints and communication lines to still be open in. Yeah, and it will come through painting, drawing, writing, just being quiet. Yeah, and asking for it. Talk to me, and then just be quiet. Yeah. And it doesn't have, 
people that there are a lot of people who don't want to be still and meditate. They want the activity and that's okay too. But those people, as much as they'll say they don't want that, they will say that they wish they had messages or they wish they had some kind of sign. And so if that it's, it's all about connecting your activity with purpose, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can connect purpose to anything that you want to do, then it becomes, or that you need to do, then it becomes something you want to do, not what you need to do. So if you could just be quiet, you know, for 10 minutes a day with purpose being just in case there's something that needs to come through to you, then you won't mind it. What? I, and I'm assuming you're a practitioner of meditation um, by that. What, what do you find are some of the most important messages you've been receiving as of lately in your silence? Okay, this, this is going to be an inside out answer. The message I get is that every time I don't get silent, I have a pretty crappy day or I end up mm -hmm. going to bed not as happy as I had on a day where I'd taken the time to set up intentionally in the morning. So my message is that for me is that if I go to bed and I'm like, gee, that wasn't the day I was expecting. It's like, Oh my goodness, I didn't take the time this morning. I didn't, I didn't, it's like, you know, you get in your car and you forget to, you forget to decide where you're going. So you just drive and you're like, how come I didn't get where I wanted to go? It's, oh, I didn't decide where I wanted to end up. And so that's my message that I get is that when I do do it, I can, I can pretty much lay out intentionally how I want to feel by the time I go to bed, that most of my day was spent in this, in, in this, feeling versus that uptight anxious feeling versus okay life is happening with me not to me hmm. and so you, you're in the absence i love that answer so your your meditation practice is first thing in the morning when you wake up you're you're being in silent yeah and mine's i had to say i'm not that typical person i didn't start doing any of this until i hit bottom and sold the business and, and found out that i didn't I hadn't really done anything that was meaningful to me for me. And so at that point, that's when I started in that practice of meditation and journaling and just getting quiet. So I, I don't, I don't, I rarely sit where my back is straight and I don't do, I don't do anything like you're supposed to do it. I just make sure that I quiet my mind and that my body's really comfortable. And that when I lose track of what I'm focused on, I gently come back and go, Oh yeah, let's try that again. It's just simple. It's just simple and it's just quiet. And it starts with um, the first thing is every single day is I breathe and go, wow, that's good that that worked. Mm. Thanks for that one. And then from there, it's, you know, pick 10 or 20 things that you want to appreciate. And then I pick four or five ways that I want to feel throughout the day. I want to feel compassion. I want to feel freedom. I want to feel accepted. I want to feel kindness. I want to feel this all day. And then from there, I just try to be quiet and just listen to my breath. And I try to look at my third eye and I, I stay quiet. And then some days if I have more time, I, which is most days, I try to take at least five minutes and I randomly write whatever comes in my head. No mm -hmm. structure. That's it. When you're, when you're focusing on those, how do you want to feel that day? Are you looking for from your meditation images of what that would look like? So if you you want to feel more compassionate? Are you getting images or guidance about how you can show up and be more compassionate that day? No, I, I, I don't. But I find that for me, um, whenever I don't feel good, there's a tightening in my heart. 
and it might be where I can feel my heart beating or I feel like some kind of like, like, why didn't I do that? Or why did I do that? Like that being hard on myself. So I, everything I feel, I just try to make sure that it doesn't make it tight here. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a real physical sense for me. That's, that's how I experience, um, yeah, breakdown. Cause I've had a couple times in my life, I, I've had two pretty severe like times where I, I was hopeless and I couldn't really folk, I couldn't function in this world that we live in twice it's happened to me where I had to kind of rebuild my life back up so I focus on that sense of tightening so that as soon as I feel I get to I get to respond to it and then you're looking for are you looking for when you you notice that's tightening are you looking for some release from it or relaxation of that tightening yeah that's how you I wasn't aware it. of that yeah I am hmm. yeah and does that become almost like a because I think it's so, I, I always find it fascinating to talk to people when they have strategies that they do. You know, how do I do this? What do I do? Because I, I feel like it's so beneficial for people listening, watching, to hear strategies in place so they can realize that you don't have to be some you know, Tibetan guru, which we often think of or stereotype into maybe meditation, that you can actually have a strategy that you create on your own. And but it's been interesting in interviewing so many people over the last few months through the series who do meditation. Almost every single one of them does not have a traditional meditation practice as we would see stereotyped on those little you know, cue cards or whatever it is. It's everybody's kind of has those hybrid versions of it that work really well for them. Mm. We're running close on time. Before I ask you my final question, where can people find you online? They can find me on my website. It's melissa-lyons, so M-E-L-I-S-S-A hyphen L-Y-O-N-S dot com. Cool. And on Facebook, Melissa Lyons author. That's the two best places to find me. Perfect. And we'll make sure everything's up and available for everyone. This journey that you've been on from the corporate world to where you are now, it sounds like in many ways it started on a quest for meaning really finding that meaning. I, I'm curious, what brings you meaning in your life today? My meaning in my life today is, is finding consistently more, meaning more minutes every single day of that feeling of being grounded and peaceful and trusting that it's going to be okay. So whatever's happening around me, having that faith, unwavering faith, a little incrementally more, incrementally more every single day. And that's where my meaning comes because when I find myself in that space, then I, I'm so much more able to offer help or support to everybody around me, my, my children, my family, my friends, my clients, the people I work with. Um, so my purpose is aligning to, to, the, to, the, to the source that, that I didn't know to align to before. And then everything else sort of falls out from there. I love that. Everyone, boy, are we going to want to rewatch, re-listen. And, you know, sometimes I will advertise, advocate taking of notes. This might be one that you actually sit in stillness and listen to. Melissa took us on a really fascinating journey. And what I appreciate about her journey is her journey is one that may parallel yours. Finding yourself on the path of doing the things that you think you're supposed to do because that's what you were taught to do, living life by default. I love that expression. 
only to find one day that when you reach the top of the mountain that you thought you were supposed to climb, you realize that there's something profoundly missing, that there is this desire for maybe more. And allowing yourself to surrender to that search for, to surrender to finding what that is and just trusting what comes up and what came up for her took us her on this fascinating journey of allowing pen to go to paper and not needing to have the the MBA approach to goals and deadlines, but just trusting in that the words that came out had meaning to them. And what transpired was that 80% of her first book was completely done in that first little session of trust. It never hurts to have some tea and a chocolate scone, or was it a scone or some sort of delicious grape? <laughs> grape, even better to go with it. I highly recommend reading the two books if you're here because you're you're looking into doing some work around grief or just working through some of your own. I, I've done a tremendous amount of study in this area. And I do mean it when I say it that the reading through the pet one was quite profound for me and that it really unlocked some things that I didn't realize had been locked away. Also, as Melissa was talking, it occurred to me that reading these books, they're short. Each one takes a, just a few moments to read really can be a meditative process in of itself if it's something that you're working on really processing your grief, whether it's been a loss of a loved one or just you're going through some sort of stuck place and loss in life right now, or you've gone through one and you may not find yourself fully healed. It, it, they're simple enough to follow through and easy enough that they really give you time to pause and feel and think and reflect and just trust in what comes up. Trusting in what comes up, meditative processes. I love that where she's realizing for her own meditative processes that if she's not taking that silence time in the morning, it sets up for a day that doesn't unfold quite as she intended. You know, so many of us, we'll often shy away from the silence, but what I've taken away from Melissa today is not to shy away from it, but to seek it out, to learn from it, to learn about yourself in it, to spend some of this quiet time that we might have available or carve it out for us if we're not yet finding it. Because in that, we can often find where the meaning, the real meaning of life is, the meaning that gives us a more meaningful, more purposeful, filled day, week, month, and beyond. Melissa, this has been an absolute incredible journey you've taken us on today. I so appreciate this time with you. Thank you for who you are. And I'm so grateful that you are willing to make that surrender choice and trust in the process and that it's brought us here together today. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. Absolutely. Really wonderful. I love your insight. Absolutely. We will see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you are finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to